just going to have a, an overview of uh, a subject that, of course, is very much in the minds of people today, and that is that we know, particularly ourselves, that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. And uh, the people of this world uh, are confused. They don't know which way to look at things. They question authority. They question the Bible. And it's because of an ignorance of the Word of God. And, of course, uh, when we look at the Word of God, we can have the next slide, we find that the Bible speaks about a day. In fact, the very last chapter in the Old Testament of the book of Malachi, the last chapter actually of the Old Testament, says, foretelling of an event that's going to take place. It says, Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Have you ever seen stubble burn on fire? It explodes with the ferocity of the heat of it all. And the day cometh that will burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and leave them neither root nor branch. And so we see through the scriptures that the Bible tells us, particularly Second Peter chapter 3, that the world that then was in time of Noah was overflowed with water and the people perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now are reserved by the same word, the word of God, under fire. And so Malachi recorded it, that there was going to be a great day of the Lord. We look in the book of Joel, and we'll see that the prophet Joel wrote that the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. Uh, the Lord is going to bring about the greatest war that the world has ever seen. He's given a name called Armageddon, as we know. But we see here that the, his camp, the power of the enemy, is nothing compared to the army of the Lord. For he is strong, he executeth his word. In other words, he brings it to pass. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? It almost seems a contradiction. How can a day be good and how can a day be bad? I suppose the point is, is that whether you're on the winning side or not, do you belong unto the Lord Jesus Christ? And that word, who can abide it, uh, just briefly and figuratively, it means from a Hebrew word, cool. It's not a cool man, but it's a cool. To maintain their possession, or position, I should say, or to revere what they have. So who is able to hold to what they know as being the truth? In the book of Luke, is, there is this warning. The warning is to take heed to ourselves, lest at any time your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life so that the day that day, that great and terrible day comes upon you unawares. It says, for like a snare, a trap, that shall come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. So we're seeing something that is not just the region, whether it be the Ukraine, whether it be the land of Israel, whether it be anywhere in the world, there'll be no escape from this day, a day in which the world will burn as an oven. And so the advice here is which is written to us that are born again, is that we have to watch therefore and pray always that we're worthy to escape all those things that are going to come to pass on this earth and still be there standing before the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. You see, the world is overcharged with surfeiting. Headaches, mental problems, drunkenness, immorality, the cares of this life have really got them trapped. And the warning for us 
as born-again Christians is that we're not to be involved in these things. The world is trapped. We know the difference. We're not to be trapped by this. Watch your salvation carefully in the eyes of God. Otherwise, you won't be standing before the Son of Man. We know that Adam and Eve fell from the grace of God. Adam and Eve could have lived forever. But if they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will surely die. And we know they failed and they died. And we know there was some time, but eventually God saw a man that had a belief in him. He believed God and that accounted to him for righteousness. His name was Abraham. Abraham had a wife called Sarah, or surprise later. But we find that this particular man had a relationship with God. God made a covenant with him that he would look after him and his offspring. And God said to Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Thou shalt bear thee a son indeed, and shall call his name Isaac, which means laughing, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and for his seed or offspring after him. I want to point out that this is God's word that the offspring of Abraham only through Sarah and not through Hagar, which is of the flesh. The offspring of Hagar, we have Ishmael and the Ishmaelites. They are not the people of the promise of God. So it's for Sarah, Abraham and continuing the offspring. We find that this same blessing of Abraham and the covenant that was made went to Jacob. Jacob's name, for those that know and most of us do, his name changed from being the supplanter to Israel, to rule with God. And so we read in Genesis 28 here, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed and to all that may inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, the land which God gave to Abraham. God owned the land in the Middle East. The city was the city of Jerusalem, was originally Salem. We could talk about Melchizedek, both the king and the priest that's going to be replaced by the next order of Melchizedek called Jesus Christ. And we see here that God gave the land to Jacob or Israel. It says, for the land which thou seest, we're reading just a couple of quick references, I will give it to thy seed forever, to every generation. In chapter 17 it says, when you rise and you walk through the, the land, the whole length of it and the breadth of it, all of it belongs to you, Jacob or Israel. The land that's referred to is actually much bigger than the boundaries of the state of Israel is today. But God made these unchangeable promises to Israel. But of course we see that through history, and we haven't got time to go into it all. The house of uh, Israel divided into two, to the house of the north, which is called the house of Israel, the ten tribes and the two tribes in the south of Judah. Israel, the, the uh, ten tribes were taken captive by the Assyrians, 741 to 721 BC, and they never ever returned to the land of Israel. But the house of Judah of the south was around Jerusalem. And so we find that they had the right to stay there 
if they were hearkening unto the word of the Lord like their God. The house of the north failed. And in 604 BC, the house of Judah of the south failed and started their seven times punishment, as was someone referred to today. A period of 2,520 years was putting, put upon the Jews to not control their own lands. And they came back again. And they did control it. And they controlled it from the time of the uh, time of Allenby when the seven times punishment was fulfilled. Then, of course, there was a jubilee, which is normal under the Jewish law, 1967. Before that, they officially became a state, Israel, in 1948. And Jesus said that the people who saw them to return, and it was to the full boundaries of Israel, which was not until 1967, that this generation shall not pass away until all be fulfilled. We're living in that day and that generation from 67. And so, of course, we're in a difficult stage at the moment because of what has happened over there with Hamas, uh, which is a terrorist organisation. And we don't want to in any way downcry people of any nation at all. War's a horrible thing. Peace with God is the greatest peace the world will ever get. The tragedy, they don't really understand that. But I want to just point out that the stated aim of Hamas is to establish a Palestinian state in Israel with uh, Jerusalem as its uh, capital city. But they refuse to accept the right for Israel even to exist. I think if you're logical and look at it, Israel is fighting for their very existence at the moment. 17 million people against really hundreds of millions of others that want to wipe it out. And so already the Bible had spoken of these things. We see in Psalm 38 here that the psalmist David wrote that they said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation. He's talking about Israel. That the name of Israel be no more in remembrance. Now this has been there since 3,000 3, years, 1,000 D.C. And we're seeing it coming to pass in our generation. We go on to read, for they've consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against the Israel. So the Bible is predicting a confederacy of nations is rising up that is going to try and wipe out Israel from the face of the earth against what God has said was right and will happen. It's rather interesting in this last few weeks that here is this man, Hassan Bittnes, Turkish Prime Minister, or Turkish Cabinet Minister, I should say, and he stood up in the Parliament in Turkey and his speech ended with a curse upon Israel and he said, Israel will suffer the very wrath of Allah. And as he said it, he had a cardiac arrest and fell on the ground. Two days later he was dead. You see, these things happened in the Bible. Priscilla and Aquila. We read how that they told lies to the Lord and they died because of it. They were cursing Israel, which is God's people, in that respect. And the Bible says, "Blessed is they, those who bless you will be blessed, but those that will curse you will be cursed. He cursed Israel, not in the name of God, but in the name of Ellen. So there is a confederacy. And the confederacy we read about, and again, we're only just giving you an overview, 
of nations that are going to attack the land of Israel. Ezekiel 38. And it talks about Gog in the land of Magog. Gog is the ruler, Magog is the land. And then it names a lot of nations as well that will join with them as a confederate. We're talking about Libya, Ethiopia, Persia, Togomar, Goma, and all their lands. An army that's been so great that the Bible says it's like an army that's never been before. And as we know, we have the next slide. They're going to invade the land of Palestine like a cloud, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38, to cover the land. Even references in Bible dictionaries make it quite clear that there's going to be a point when there's going to be an invasion of Palestine by great northern confederacy led up, led up by Russia. Fairburn's Imperial Standard Dictionary or Encyclopedia points out. Ungus writes, the scene depicts a gigantic outburst of anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish feeling. A colossal attempt will be to overrun Palestine and to annihilate the Jews. These things have been written for decades, but they're all part of the message that we just read, that they want to wipe off Israel from being a nation again. Someone mentioned yesterday in the talk about Esau. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, chapter 36, that Esau was Edom, and the meaning of Edom means the red people. And it's no wonder that we see scriptures like here in Ezekiel 35, we could have looked at things in Psalms and other places. It says, because thou hast had a perpetual hatred, talking about for Israel, the word perpetual hatred actually means a hatred of old. It goes back to when these two young men were together with their family, Esau, the brother of Jacob. Esau wanted, from the time of getting his blessing taken by Jacob, to kill his brother. And from that moment, Esau has looked to shed the blood of his brother Israel or Jacob. And the Bible says here that they're going to come upon the land, as I've already mentioned, ascend and come up like a storm, like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many, many people with thee. Israel knows that they're going to come from the north because when you come in from the north across a plain that's called the Plain of Ezraelon, it's so big that all the armies of the world could be in the plains of Ezraelon. Then they come to the hills of Megiddo from which the word Armageddon comes from and that's when the conflict will really start there. So the Bible is very clear that Esau leads all these nations in against the land of Israel to wipe them out. It's interesting, even an old, very old book, people have probably heard of the book of the Apocrypha, like a Catholic church, adds it to their Bible after the Old Testament. It's a collection of writings that is not written in a manner that can be shown to be true by Bible numerics. But in Second Ezra, in chapter 6 and verse 9, in the Apocrypha, it says that Esau, which we identify as Russia, is going to be the end of this world, and that Jacob, Israel, the beginning of what will follow on from there. And it ties in perfectly with the description of Nebuchadnezzar's image. When the uh, image is there and all the parts were looked at, as Daniel describes it all, and eventually a stone is going to smite the whole earth. 
The image is going to become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. It's the stone kingdom of Israel, led by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ, the Saviour, the Redeemer, the coming world ruler, is going to have the government of this world upon his shoulders. It's all there in the Word of God, very, very clearly. Next slide. We also read in the book of Joel, it will come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, as we've been hearing about wonderfully what's happening in Papua New Guinea, it's happening here in Australia, it's happening in many parts of the world, Africa and others, where people are being born again. It says for the place it's all going to take place at is in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there's going to be deliverance south of the Lord. In the remnant whom the Lord shall call of those that will hearken under the, the voice of the Lord and respond and be born again and walk in the ways of their God. So if we look at the day of the Lord, the great and the terrible day of the Lord, it can be correctly understood as the day of the final battle of Jerusalem. The day in which the combined, all the combined armies of the world that fall upon the mountains of Israel are going to be defeated. And from that moment, the Son of God establishes rule over the earth. So the great and the terrible day of the Lord relates to this event of falling upon the mountains of Israel, Jesus Christ winning the battle and filling the earth. In the book of Zephaniah, we read here in verse 8, it says, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day I rise up for the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour out my indignation, even my fierce anger. This is the way the Lord says it at the time. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Like we've already said that the world was destroyed once by water, this time the fire of God's jealousy. So I want to refer to a few references to the actual coming day of the Lord from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah in verse 1 tells us that the day of the Lord is coming. And one of the things it says to them is that, Israel, you're going to have a spoil that you're going to be able to take all the goods and the chattels of the enemy and you're going to divide it up in the midst of you. And that, of course, sounds a, a great thing for them to tell them that they're going to ultimately get a, be a victor. But it's not quite the Israel that we're talking about. It's the Israel of the people of God that will rule with Christ. In verse 2 of Zechariah 12, it says, There's going to come a time which is there in the world today when the, I'll make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the people around about. Jerusalem is the center point, as we've already described, of the day that's going to be great and terrible, that will bring in the final conflict, that will bring Jesus Christ back to the earth, that will bring the saints together with him. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2, after saying to them that you're going to enjoy the spoils of the enemy, he says, I'm going to gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city is going to be taken, and the houses are going to be rifled, and the women are going to be ravished. doesn't sound a victory, does it? So after saying that there'll be a spoil that they will have, we now see that there's going to be a terrible shaking in the land of Israel, as the Bible calls it, a cup of trembling and a festering sore upon the whole of the earth. We see the bloodshed 
We see the rise up of, at the moment of a mass. We can see uh, the, the big arguments over uh, down the bottom corner, uh, the Dome of the Rock situated on the Temple Mount. There's so much that's happening in that land today that make it the cup of trembling for the whole earth. It says, then, even though that they're going to come in like this massive cloud, we find that the Lord will go forth ultimately. He'll let the battle continue to a point where the Bible says in Ezekiel 38, my, sh- my fury shall rise up in my face and the Lord will fight those nations as he fought in the days of battle many times in the land of Israel in the Old Testament. So we see here about this last great assault by the heathen armies upon Jerusalem. It's telling us here in the book of Zechariah that half the city will be taken into captivity. But when all is seems that it's lost, the Lord God's going to intervene and secure a victory for his people and to establish the rule of his son upon the earth. This is going to happen in a very quick period of time from when it all begins. In verse 4, all of a sudden Jesus Christ comes on the scene. So we talk about the great confederacy coming down from the north with all the various armies that we could describe from Ezekiel 38. They fall upon the mounds of Israel like the storm and a cloud. They think an evil thought as well we could have talked about. And they go up over the North Pole to the land of unwalled villages to attack the Americas, to take cattle and goods and their riches from them. It's all there in the Word of God. But all of a sudden, coming down through the clouds, you might remember in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were told not to leave Jerusalem until they received the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so they were, and suddenly Jesus Christ went up in the clouds. An angel stood nearby and says, in like manner as he went through the clouds, he's going to come back through the clouds. He's going to come back on the great and terrible day of the Lord. His feet, we read here in verse 4 of Zechariah 14, is going to stand upon the or land upon the mountain of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east side of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives is going to split completely in two. And there's going to be a very great valley and the whole area is going to be leveled flat. It's what's called the the Great Rift Valley Prophecy. So Jesus comes back. The Mount of of Olives splits in two. And do you know that the Jews do not build on the Mount of Olives because there's a big fault line through the middle of it? They know. It's an unstable region, but don't worry. The Lord's going to split it anyhow, so they may as well have built on it. So there's the Mount of Olives, where his enemy is, and so on. And it's going to split into two great, two parts and become a, a, a fertile valley. We read in verse 5 of Zechariah 14, and it says, And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach to Ezel, and yea, you shall flee, like as you fled before the earthquakes in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, because the Lord my God will come. The Lord my God will come as Jesus Christ, and all the saints will be with him. We know in the scriptures, and again we haven't got time to describe it all, the Bible says that on the day that the Lord returns, the dead in Christ will rise, First Thessalonians chapter 4. The dead in Christ will rise and then those who are alive will meet them in the air as the ecclesia, the church, the New Testament Israel, which was referred to a little earlier, rises up to meet Jesus in the air. And then as it describes here, 
That's made up, of course, of the saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then he brings the saints down to the earth with him. We won't talk about the wedding and taking in the heavens, but he's going to come down to the earth with the saints, to Jerusalem, where he will rule and reign from. Jesus comes, the saints come with him. But we see that the whole of the country, as I touched on the Zechariah Rift Valley, is going to be in that day that living waters are going to flow out of Jerusalem. Half of it's going to go towards the former sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea, and half of them towards the Hinder Sea, which is the Dead Sea. And it won't matter whether it's summer or whether it's winter. That's what's going to happen. And what this simply means is, uh, and we don't know how it's going to happen, but in Jerusalem there's going to be a massive spring of water coming forth in Jerusalem. And it's going to divide up into two rivers. And one river from Jerusalem with fresh water is going to flow right to the Mediterranean Sea. And the second river is going to flow down into the desert to where the Dead Sea is now. And it will not stop summer or winter. So the whole of Israel is going to be a different country as we see here. In verse 10 it tells us that all the land shall become a plain from Geba to Ribbon. So from one side right down to the south of Jerusalem. And it's going to be lifted up out of a place, and men shall dwell there, and there will be no more any destruction. But Jerusalem and those in it will be safely inhabited, and nothing to fear. It's describing quite an amazing set of events that's going to happen, that literally the ground is going to all change around that region, as it did once before, when it dropped two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah, down to the depths, and they're probably under the Dead Sea, most people believe. You see, the Rift Valley that we're talking about is a contiguous geographic trenches that are 7,000 kilometres long, and it runs from Lebanon all the way down through Asia to Mozambique in southeast Africa. And what it is is that these are these great tectonic plates of rock, slabs of the Earth's rock, the crust at the top of the coming from the inside of the earth, the crust on the outside, the upper mantle just below it, it's all going to move again as the Lord brings changes around Jerusalem. And so the Rift Valley has formed uh, transform faults. These great tectonic planks have been grinding past each other. But what is going to, as we see here, this is just a picture of what it looks in part of Africa of this great fault line that's there. And so the whole of the region, including the Dead Sea, is going to change. If you look at the Dead Sea, and it's just a bit of a map, as you can see it there in the central part of the slide on the left, it's the lowest point of dry land on the whole of the earth. The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below normal sea level. Water can't drain from it because there's nothing lower to drain into. Seven million tonnes of water evaporates each day, leaving minerals. And the Dead Sea salinity today, they estimate to be about 33.5%. It's quite an amazing place. Nothing grows. And the salt is there and accumulated as a story in itself. It gets back to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah when these cities were destroyed by God. So it's going to change. 
a large river, as we've just described. We read it in Ezekiel as well. It's going to flow from Jerusalem eastward to the east country, going into uh, down to the, and then down into the desert. So it's going to go from the, to one to the Mediterranean, the other down to the Dead Sea. And then in where the Dead Sea is today, there's going to be all manner of trees that are going to grow there. There's going to be fruit, there's going to be shade, there's going to be medicine because the Lord is putting living waters flowing out of Jerusalem. And it even tells us here in Ezekiel, it come to pass that the fishermen, the fishers, will stand upon it from Engedi, which is on the left side, uh, right down to Engelane. And there's going to be a place to spread nets, particularly where the Dead Sea is. And the fish, even in the Dead Sea, will be according to their kinds. David Gilman, you can go fishing there. And it says, as the fish of the great sea, there's going to be so many fish. There's going to be no difference between the fish in the Mediterranean or the fish in the Dead Sea, because everything's going to change when the Lord returns. We read, we have the next slide, that the Lord will be king over all the earth. He's one Lord. His name is one. We know him, of course, in the scriptures as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he rules and reigns. From Jerusalem, we read in verse 9. Next slide. It tells us here that men will dwell safely and there will be no more destruction in Jerusalem and it will be safely inhabited. These are the changes that is recorded in the book of Zechariah. And we can go on to the next slide. It then tells us how that the Lord is going to bring about the destruction of things on the earth. It's a perfect description of the effect of atomic warfare. Even in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, they still say there's a 20% chance that Russia will use nuclear power against these people. The Bible's already recorded what will be the final plague that will destroy things upon the earth. This will be the plague we read in verse 12 of Zechariah 14, talking about the great and terrible day, wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will consume away while they stand upon their feet. The eyes are going to consume away in the holes, and the tongue shall consume away in their mouth. So it paints a terrible picture, but it's precisely what happened in the situation uh, when the Second War took place and there was the atomic bombs, which are only minor compared to what they are today, were used in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Next slide. But it also said, and we go back to verse 1, in verse 14 it says, eventually uh, Judah will fight at Jerusalem, but the wealth of the heathen that have come and attacked them shall be left behind and they're going to go out and gather together their silver, their gold, their apparel, in great abundance. This is the, sort of the spoil we read of in verse 1. Yes, verse. And also come to pass that they're going to have to come and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at the Feast of the Tabernacle, all the nations of the earth. The Bible indicates that maybe one-third of the world will be left and the rest will be destroyed on that occasion. And they're going to worship the, the, the Lord. We just want to move past these fairly quickly. And, uh, and again, if we go to the next slide, they've got to come and they're going to worship the king. And if they don't, 
the Lord says there'll be no rain upon their nations and upon their lands. Next slide. We read here that all false religions and idols will be destroyed. It's the start of what we call the millennium, the thousand years of ruling and reigning with Christ. And he's going to be there and bound, that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. There's going to be a thousand years of peace upon the earth. Next slide. And it begins on the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules from, as it tells us here in Isaiah, from Israel. And they're going to belt their, uh, beat their short swords, I should say, I'm trying to make it apparent, go quickly, into power shears and shears and into pruning hooks and so on. But there will be no more war. Next slide. They must come up and visit uh, the land of uh, of Israel, as the Bible says. All the plagues will come upon them. Next slide. It's coming to a close now. It says that he, talking about Jesus Christ, shall be called the Son of the Highest. For the Lord will give unto him a throne. And that throne is in existence. People don't like to think about it sometimes this way. But there's a man sitting upon the throne as a direct ascendant of King David, as Jesus Christ is a direct ascendant. He's going to take up that throne. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And when he does, the kingdom will be no end. Next slide. We're going to read just to finish. Just a little thought. It tells us in, if we read Luke, uh, sorry, Psalm 91, that we need to be in the place where we're safe for when the Lord returns. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. And I'll say of the Lord that He's my refuge, my fortress, He's my God, and Him will I trust. What does it mean to dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty? The word secret place, Sithereth. What does it mean? It means to be under a cover, like under a roof. And he dwells within us. We're in the secret place. We follow the story of that secret place back. It's when the Lord delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. He said, put the blood upon the doorpost and upon the lentil, and the angel of death will destroy any house that is not God a secret place covering. And that night we know none of the people in Israel that had the blood covering were destroyed. That's why we can say it to, about the Lord, he is our refuge and our fortress. We're under the secret place when we're born again and we can trust God with everything. And just for those that might, just in finishing, they might be wondering, how do I get there? Pastor God has already explained it. You must be born again. There's no other Christian church than the born-again church in the Bible. If you want to be there on that day, this is your ticket. The Bible says clearly, when they heard this, the people heard them filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues, they came to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they said, what have we now got to do? We haven't got what you have. And Peter said the answer is repentance, baptism, by full immersion, in the name of Jesus Christ, the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you'll be under the covering. You won't die, and you'll live forever. And all the people say.